0: We really kind of focus on like eight areas to strike and just making sure, again, we're going for the most vulnerable, sensitive places and just being aware of those places sometimes can just help us feel, again, like we're more prepared and have the confidence to do something and don't believe that just because somebody's grabbed onto you and they're bigger than you, that you have zero fighting chance.
1: Hello, Grown Girl Gang. Welcome back to the Girl We Grown Now podcast. I am your host, Victoria, and I am so excited to be back with another safety episode. Honestly, you guys, this is quickly becoming my favorite series that I've done yet because as I said in the very first episode of this series, safety is so important and I truly believe we need to talk about these things more, especially as women. So I have a special guest on today. I have Kaylee Billerbeck. She is a second degree level three black belt with a degree in psychology and she has traveled to almost all of the 50 states teaching self-defense and safety to college women. So Kaylee decided to create her own program called Everyday Armor. So with Everyday Armor, Kaylee took her martial arts background, her psychology degree, and her personal background to teach mental, situational and physical safety in a really realistic and a relatable way. The objective of her program is to really empower women to live life and be independent, but to also give them the tools that they need so that it can help them be and feel more safe and confident in everything that they're doing. So when I tell you all, Kaylee literally gave some of the best self-defense tips. So I found her on social media and I saw some of her videos. And I knew immediately that I had to get her to come on and be a part of this series because I I just know that we all can learn so much from her methods and the different tips that she shares. So again, I'm so excited for this episode. It is a bit on the longer side, but I promise there is so much good information in here that I really just wanted to share it all with you all. So I kept it long because as I said, these are really things that we need to know. And as someone who has grown up with safety really being ingrained into my life, I learned some tips that I had never heard before. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into the conversation with Kaylee. Hi, Kaylee. Welcome to the Grow We Grown Up podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you here. It is so interesting. Like I talk with my friends about safety all the time. So (laughs) growing up, I guess I would be considered the paranoid friend because my mom, like just with the environment that she grew up in, she was constantly teaching me all these different different safety things that I feel like a lot of my friends their parents just didn't teach them. The same mm-hmm. thing because I think she had to be street smart just because she grew up in an area that wasn't the suburbs and maybe wasn't the safest. So, yeah. I think like that. I'm grateful for it because I think that has set me up to always have safety on my mind and kind of have that alertness. So, I do feel comfortable solo traveling and doing things on my own because it's just something I've, it's been ingrained in me since I was a kid, basically.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting how you point out like it's kind of this paradox, right? Like you're the paranoid friend, but then also like you feel comfortable enough to go travel solo. So it's like there's, I think this kind of idea about if you're paranoid or you're kind of, you know, thinking a little bit deeper about the situations that you're in or what could go wrong and prepping for that, that we're like paranoid or overreacting when, you know, I mean, to your point, like I know a lot of my friends would never go travel by themselves. And it's, you know, that's just kind of what they're comfortable with or not comfortable with. But I think sometimes when we have that level of paranoia, almost like it gives us the ability to go do more things by ourselves, if that weirdly makes sense.
1: Yeah, I totally agree because it kind of gives you that confidence. Because So I'm very sure of my intuition. It has never led me wrong. It's something Mm -hmm. that I always preach. Trust your intuition because your body speaks to you so often. And I think sometimes as women, we can second guess ourselves because of those different labels that we've been given about, oh, Mm -hmm. you're overreacting. You're just being paranoid, those things. But I will say that just that being ingrained in me from so young, I really learned how to trust my intuition, kind of sense out like "Mm, that person or this situation seems off. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I need to protect myself. Something my mom would always say is you would rather be safe than sorry. Like Who cares if your friends say you're being paranoid? Just do what you feel like is safest for you.
0: Yeah, I wish your mom could go and teach all the other young women because it's so true and that's I mean really kind of when we boil down like our curriculum that's what we're really trying to ingrain in women and empower them to seek out different ways to build self-esteem to build that confidence because it really I mean to your point trusting your gut is like the best thing you can do and it I feel like nowadays we see all these TV shows we hear about true crime and we almost want to make safety this really over-the-top, extra flashy thing when in reality so much of it comes down to confidence and just kind of common sense things that you can ingrain in in daily life, you know, but you can't respond to those things or, you know, do any of that if you're not confident. Exactly. So I definitely have skipped.
1: I always have to start with an icebreaker. So I have to back up because I really want to get your take on this. So I always ask all my guests, what is the best life advice you've ever received that you still apply today?
0: You know, I would say it probably came from my mom and I, I just, I mean, there's so many different things that I could point out, but I feel like the reason I am where I am today is because my mom always told me, like, why not you? If there's even something that, like, you aren't really proud of in yourself, why not you? Why can't you, like, switch that up? Or if there's, like, something that's kind of been passed along through generations in your family, like, why not you? Why can't you be the one to end that cycle? Career, you know? Like, why not you to be the one that's in a healthy relationship? So it's, I think, just kind of this idea that anybody can have anything they want in life, but you have to commit yourself to it. And- It takes a lot of hard work, but yeah, I think just that question, like, why not you? I really
1: love that. And I love that your mom taught you that. I actually saw a video on Instagram earlier today and the woman in the video was talking about a lot of times we don't do things. And really like that is our gift. We are designed to do that. And we could be helping so many people if we just Mm -hmm. got outside of ourselves and realize that we have this gift to share and we're really good at it and we're really passionate about it. So just pushing ourselves. And like you said, just asking why not me and just going out there and doing it. So I love that so much. Well,
0: and it's funny because to what we were just talking about, like to kind of almost answer that question, typically the people that don't think that they can do it when they're asked that question, like, well, why not you? It's probably a lack of confidence, you know, and a lack of knowing yourself. And that doesn't mean that confidence means that you just love everything about yourself, right? Like, it's just being able to point out these are my strengths, my weaknesses, and I'm good with that. And I think that it's, I don't know, like, life becomes so much better when you just stop caring what people think. And I mean, you know that starting a podcast, like, everybody's going to have an opinion But when you can kind of toss that out the window a little bit and be like, okay, why not me? I'm just going to go for it and build that confidence. Yeah. You create this life, a career, things that you really genuinely love to do.
1: Exactly. When you start doing the things you want to do and block everything else out, you literally are going to be able to live the life that's most exciting for yourself. So that is so true. I echo that. Okay. So what got you into safety and
0: self-defense? Good question. So my parents forced me into it when I was younger. Um, they signed my sister and I up. And actually, so my mom worked at this restaurant, and it was in like our small town. And her boss made a deal with my instructor, and basically he was like, "Okay, you can." I think it was that like my instructor could go eat for free, and my mom's boss got like free training or something for my sister and I, which is super cool of him. And we started training. My parents signed this contract for us. It basically said we would stay in the program until we got our black belts. And I was morbidly embarrassed. Like the outfits, the geese that you had to wear. I was like, if people saw me doing this, they think I was so weird. And I, I was so embarrassed by it. But then you know, the more that I did it and I, I did a bunch of other sports. And then I, I ended up coming back to martial arts because it just was something where you're competing with yourself, but then you're also in this community of other people. where we're all working together, you know? So it was just, it was a really cool environment and, and it was just very empowering. It was a great outlet that people I met were incredible. So that's kind of, You know what got me started in general and then I stopped training at 18. I went off to college and I really saw this lack of self-defense and safety that was tailored to women that don't have any experience because truth be told there's a lot of people in the world that are just never going to sign up for you know those consistent weekly classes and they're expensive may not be of interest to people. I would advocate for it, but we're being realistic, right? So it was really kind of taking what I had learned, things that I felt like maybe were even missing in my training, and then really kind of funneling that towards young women in a way that actually made sense and didn't tell them, okay, you can't do this, you can't do that, this is what you should wear, this is what you shouldn't wear, You know, and things that empowered them to still have individuality and be able to do stuff alone. So,
1: yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that definitely is. Like you said, like, especially in college, I definitely was not thinking about taking self-defense. So Mm -hmm. it is really nice that you saw that need and then you tailored it into a way that would make it more appealing to younger women. So I think that is amazing. So, you, you said your mom or your parents signed you up for self defense so is that something that they had in their background, or was it because they just wanted like what was their? do you know their reasoning behind that?
0: No, so you know it's it's interesting because my I don't really know actually if my parents kind of felt a need to do it for any particular reason, but I know that my mom's boss, his he had two daughters who were older than my sister and I, and they had both done martial arts, and he was like, "Renee, I cannot tell you how important this is for your girls to get into this. Like, this really set my girls up for success to be independent." And my mom was like, "Okay, boom, sign us up." So, yeah, it, it was really kind of all from from her boss. So I I really owe a lot of that to him.
1: That's really cool. I was only asking because my my dad has a background in. And- he was a black belt. So he put us in okay. martial arts. I, I did not have that same agreement to become a black belt. So I did it when mm-hmm. I was younger and so I was just curious if like anyone in your family had the background, because I know sometimes when that is one of the parents' background, then we end up doing it by default as a kid.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, though, because my mom would like just growing up, she'd tell us these funny stories and she was such a rambunctious child and my mom would get into fights and stuff. So she kind of had she had three older brothers. So she was kind of that rough and tough growing up. So. I'd kind of assume that maybe that was attractive to her to have like her daughters being able to defend themselves and have that level of confidence, especially because, you know, we didn't grow up with three older brothers who kind of harassed us. So yeah, but that's what, um, what discipline did you do? I honestly can't remember because I was so young. I think I got, mm-hmm. is there
1: an orange belt? I feel like I, I remember yes, an orange belt. So that's not too far into it, but I could be wrong, but I want to say it was Taekwondo.
0: Okay, perfect. And honestly, yeah. I feel like so much of it too, even if you know, you don't get to to black belt or even if you're like, you know what, a martial art doesn't sound intriguing to me. I'd rather do kickboxing. I think, and even if not that, like even if you just have a certain physical outlet that you enjoy, I think so much of it comes down again to confidence, right? If somebody grabs onto you, even if we don't have that, that training on how to get out of certain holds, it's still just having the confidence to do something, right? Look for the places to strike and try to at least get away. Yes, and I
1: think, so I did that. And then a couple of times throughout my teens, I did self-defense classes with my mom. So mm-hmm. my mom is kind of like your mom. Like she naturally, like she had gotten to fights before and she had brother, so naturally, you know, mm-hmm. she was a little bit more rougher and tough. And like, yeah, I, I'm convinced she can beat up a grown man. Like <laughs> I think the men fear her, which I am in such awe of that trait, honestly. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I did take a few self-defense classes. So now, like when I'm dating someone, Sometimes I will like have them practice with me, especially if he's way bigger. I will be like, hey, like come behind me and grab me. Let me see if I can get out of it. And so mm-hmm. I think that if you have a brother or a boyfriend or something, I think that's a good thing that maybe you can even practice with your partner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even if it's just like looking something up on YouTube, you know, and there's so many different escapes that you can look at. I mean, I learned certain ones in my training. Krav Maga is going to teach different ones, Jiu Jitsu would love teach things Krav Maga. different. I know I've always wanted to train. Like Krav Maga and Jiu-Jitsu are things that I'd love to go more into. I've never done Krav Maga. I've done a little bit of Jiu-Jitsu, but those are two things I I'd, I'd like to experiment with. But, you know, everything's going to tell you something different because that's what they've studied. That's they have a reason for selecting what they did. So I think it's really about finding what's best, you know, for me. If you're just going to kind of like look at these things up. If I was going to advise somebody to take regular classes anywhere, it would be probably Jiu-Jitsu. But I mean, yeah, look it up. Practice the different escapes and holds, and even if you you do it once a week, just at least trying to get a little familiar. So when you're in that situation, if God forbid you ever are, you've at least rehearsed this a little bit. You know, it's kind of just that that like Mm -hmm. mental training, even to keep from hopefully keep from freezing if somebody were to come up behind you and say grab you. Exactly, I totally agree with that. So, what are some
1: of the top safety myths that you see a lot of people believing that are true? I love this
0: question. There are so many. And I think there's a lot of people who are very well-intentioned on the internet. But honestly, there's been certain things that, you know, you kind of pick up on throughout life and you're like, oh, wait, that's actually not true. You know, so I'm totally I'm understanding of people making mistakes here and there. We're human. but. When there's these huge pushes for these stories that are just blatantly false, it's so frustrating. And I think the biggest one has to do with human trafficking. So many women think that people are, you know, traffickers are coming up and putting zip ties on cars or slashing your Achilles and grabbing you, you know, and that is not how trafficking typically happens. Now, has it happened where somebody randomly kidnaps you? Yes. Could it happen? Absolutely. It is so incredibly rare though and you know when you talk to trafficking survivors it's frustrating to them hearing all these stories and these things that go around because it's like by pushing those stories that almost kind of like fear monger a little bit you're missing what's actually happening and that devalues my story that devalues the stories of these other survivors. And it really keeps from people seeking out, okay, how is this actually happening? How can I identify it? Or what are the the most common risk factors or things to look out for? So I think that's probably the biggest misconception or myth that tends to circulate. And, and on that point, if you look at the U.S. trafficking hotline from 2015 to 2021, there's zero reports of people putting zip ties on your car, using other markings, crying baby noises, abandoned car seats. So many of those things are urban legends, you know, and it doesn't mean that they can't happen or haven't happened, but they've never been connected to a trafficking situation. Wow.
1: I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I definitely see those videos on TikTok Mm -hmm. and Instagram. I've definitely seen them this year and last year. So those are still very prevalent out there because I've always thought that they either put like the napkin and like your car handle with the drug on it that I forget or like you said, the zip ties or they like under your car. So I'm really happy you mentioned that. And I think I also see like people putting trackers like from the videos on the back of your car and things like that. So
0: yeah. And you know, with social media nowadays, I think it's tough because Again, like could these things happen? Yes. And could somebody maybe, because they've heard all these stories, if I see a weird thing on my car, it's very easy to draw that conclusion because I've heard these other stories. It's like, oh, well, that must be what this is, when in reality it's not. But we think that because of all these stories propagated on the internet. And even, let's say, if there was an instant where somebody was randomly kidnapped, and and there are those instances, you know, and taken into trafficking, that a lot of times becomes the one story that blows up because it really freaks people out. And it makes them I mean, that that like affects daily life when in reality, it's let's look at the people we know, because those are most commonly going to be would be your trafficker, you know, and Look at the tactics that they use and how they groom people because that's actually, it's not as fancy and stuff. It's not as like big, but I mean, that's the most common way that it's happening.
1: Wow. We might have to talk about trafficking in another episode because I think that is something that we all should know, especially if there are Mm -hmm. a lot of misconceptions about how it happens out there. Yeah, absolutely. So are there any safety tools that you are tools that are must haves for you to have on you all the time?
0: You know, it's a tough question for me to answer because to be really honest with you, I don't carry any like self-defense items. A lot of times in situations where I might use one of those items, I'm typically traveling and trying to like consolidate everything else that I'm trying to carry or, or move from one place to another. And truthfully, I know that I'm probably not going to regularly practice with say pepper spray or a taser and surely not a gun. So I opt not to carry them because I'm not I know that I wouldn't have the time and energy to put towards the training that I would need to have. Now, if I was going to advise any items for somebody to carry, I would say carry something that's going to optimize the space between you and a potential perpetrator. So something like pepper spray, pepper gel, even a birdie, where you're just pulling something, it's a loud alarm, sets off a light, and you could do that same thing with your keys. There was actually um a story of this. A girl in Tuscaloosa, she, my Uber driver told me the story, and she had been walking through a parking lot and a man started chasing after her. So she set off her or like her car alarm and you know lights go off it's loud and it spooked him and ended up running away so i mean not that that's gonna solve every situation but again just things that don't force you to have to get close to them in order to use because if you feel like something's off with someone like we were talking about earlier you don't want to go and start you know if you think somebody's following you taking the the left turns or the right turns like trust your gut and do something and never get closer to that person so yeah anything where You can kind of optimize that distance or even just a steel water bottle. That's something I carry with me everywhere. If I needed to, I could easily swing that. And that doesn't really require training like pepper spray would. You know, there's a lot of smaller movements, you're in fight or flight, water bottle, you just swing that thing. And I mean, if somebody's really coming at you, swing for the temple and make them pass out. I love that you said that because I
1: think it is important to think about the things that we already have on us because Mm -hmm. realistically, I've had pepper spray, all of the things. But how often do I actually have them on me, especially if I'm going out for a walk or just I don't always have them on me. So thinking, like you said, like a water bottle, that's something I always have. Our keys, usually that's something we always have. So just using the things that we are going to have because we generally have them all the time is Mm -hmm. definitely a really great tip. And that's also something that my mom would say. She's like, use what you have, but it's basically by any means necessary.
0: Totally. And, you know, kind of on that point, too. So with the keys going back to maybe what I wouldn't recommend, there's so I would say, yes, like, you know, we we're talking about, like, have your keys out, set off your alarm if you're near, it, if you think somebody's outside of your house, even set it off. I would never advise somebody, though, to rely on a key between their fingers as a weapon. And the reason I say that is because if that's like your one item that you're going to use or your way of defending yourself, there are so many other things like number one, running away. Right. Or even again, using an object that you have with you to throw at them or like steel water bottles going to do a lot more than that key between your fist. And that key between your fist requires that you get in close. So if you're going to carry something, carry something that optimizes that space between the two of you. And I mean, frankly, you don't want to be up against a perpetrator because they've sized you up. They already think they're going to be able to physically overpower you. So odds are they're probably larger, taller, and stronger. So you don't want to have to rely on punching them with a little key.
1: I love that you mentioned that. The fact that they've probably, well, they've obviously already sized you up and they've decided that you're their target. So Mm -hmm. I know, this is probably years ago, I remember, I don't know if it was a police officer or someone said, like, there are certain things, I mean, we can't always be right, but there are certain things that they generally do target. So are there really things that you know of that it's said that they target whenever they see someone out, like a woman out?
0: You know, it kind of depends on what the end goal is, right? Like if somebody, there was actually um, a woman that had told me a story that had happened to her. And she was walking, she had her iPhone out. And this man in particular was there was like a group of them that were going around stealing iPhones and reselling them. So, in that case, you know, he saw what he wanted and he went after it. Maybe somebody sees an expensive watch that you're wearing and they want that, so they go after it. Now, in reality, am I going to alter what I'm wearing on a day-to-day basis? Probably not. You know, and, and I would never tell a woman like, "Hey, you, make sure you don't wear your hair in a ponytail because it makes it more likely a perpetrator can grab onto it or don't wear heels." don't wear all black when you go out because we should be able to express ourselves or wear what we want to. And I think there's so many other ways that can help us feel and be more safe that don't require us altering how we express ourselves or, you know, things like that that really shouldn't, I don't know, I just, I feel like that really affects like, okay, well, I can't wear this nice necklace that my mom got me for my birthday because I'm afraid somebody might come try to steal it, you know? So, I think that you kind of just have to monitor that for yourself. Now, if I was going to go walk in an area that was known to be extremely unsafe, yeah, maybe I would take some of those things off. But on a day-to-day basis, probably not. Having your head up, walking with confidence, having longer strides, walking with a purpose, and not being distracted, probably the best things that you can do for yourself. Again, those more common sense things that are frankly very easy to alter.
1: Yes, I talked about that in this past episode, but... One time I was walking through a parking lot, I think I was early twenties, and I was mm-hmm. on my phone just not paying attention and this older woman stopped me. She's like, Hey, like you should not be walking through the parking lot looking at your phone. You need to pay attention. And, oh and th- at the moment I was like, Wait, what? But then I thought of Like, it. I, was rude. like wow, I appreciate <laughs> her. I know at first I was like, wait, well, like she's not my mom. Like, what is she talking about? <laughs> but I, but like hindsight I'm like I appreciate that because one what if I hadn't I mean I had been told that before by my mom but Mm -hmm. I just was obviously being young and just living my life but I do appreciate that reminder from her because it hits differently when a stranger tells you that because it's like wow like she stopped me to say that like obviously there's a reason and it did highlight like, okay, I do need to pay attention when I'm walking through a parking lot because you never know. I could mm-hmm. wait. I could have waited until I got into the store.
0: And it's it's crazy too because somebody, a total stranger can tell you that years ago, yet it's something that still sticks with you. And I mean, not being distracted is such a big thing. And so many women, I hear, I literally ask this question in every single class, raise your hand if you have called someone while you were walking home by yourself at nighttime. And every hand goes up because so often we think, oh, I'm more safe because I'm talking to somebody or somebody knows where I'm at or they're on the phone or maybe I'm escaping what's happening in my immediate environment because I feel anxious. When in reality, you're losing a large amount of awareness on your environment. So somebody comes up to you, They now have the element of surprise where they've caught you off guard. You didn't see it coming. You have no time to respond. If you're on your phone, you're probably about to drop it if somebody grabs onto you. So you know, again, trying to maximize that distance between you and your perpetrator, put your phone down and like tune into your environment. And I think so often we think that's gonna feel so scary, but the more you do it, the more you're like, and you can go into full like CIA special agent mode where you're like, you know, walking around like you, like you know shit. So, you know, and it, it just, it's empowering and tuning in, watching for those things that just feel off so you can respond to them and have more time to do so. It's so interesting that you mentioned
1: that because I feel like that's something we hear, like when you're walking by yourself at night, call someone because of those reasons. So Mm -hmm. it is a very interesting perspective because when you say it, it makes total sense. Of course, we're going to drop our phone if something happens. Like that's the last of our worries. And then it's kind of like, what was the purpose of being on the phone, especially that person's not there anyway? So Mm -hmm. I know you've mentioned a couple of times, maximize the distance. So... Do you have specific tips for that?
0: So it's going to be situation dependent, right? But ultimately, the most amount of space you can have around you is ideal. So if I'm walking, let's say I'm walking by myself at nighttime, whether I'm just walking back from a restaurant, walking from my car, maybe I'm on a college campus. Either way, you know, if I'm choosing between a really congested sidewalk where there's a lot of cars parked along the street, there's a lot of trees, bushes, or if I could walk in the middle of the street and obviously have that space around me. I mean, if a car is coming, you know, move. But if it's a really populated street, maybe don't do that. But, you know, just looking for those areas where you have more space. Same thing when you're parking your car. Where can I park somewhere that has as much space as possible around my car? And that could be, you know, instead of parking in the back of the parking lot, maybe I'm parking closer next to another car, but maybe one side of My car is near a little walkway or the cart return or maybe it's just by a car that's shorter as opposed to two larger cars that I can't really see around. So, you know, just always looking at how can I create as much space around me as possible so, again, we have more time to see and respond to potential threats. Now, if there's a situation where somebody kind of just had that off feeling and Obviously we still need to kind of maintain that distance as much as possible. If let's say again situation where somebody's walking behind me, I'm like, "You know what? Something feels off about this. I don't know. I actually just spoke with a woman who is in the FBI and the CIA, and she was like, "I get so annoyed by people telling you to take the four left or four right turns or try to, you know, do whatever to see if they're following you." She's like, "Do something. Call 911." get to safety immediately. The second you feel something is off, do not second guess yourself. So in that situation, there's a lot of women that will maybe step to the side, see if that person will pass them or they'll slow down to see if that person matches pace. But both those things close that distance between the two of you. You know, so instead cross the street, right? Cross the street, create more distance between the two of you, get to safety, speed up. Don't worry if they're matching your pace. You feel off, you speed up and you get to safety. You know, so just kind of those things where you're always thinking about if, something feels off, how can I make sure that I'm not getting closer to that person, responding to the situation, and just in general looking to have space around me? You
1: literally read my mind. That was my next question. I was like, what about when someone's walking behind you? Personally, for me at night, I do not like when people are walking so closely behind me. Mm -hmm. It is one of my biggest pet peeves. And actually, my friend and I were talking the other day, and we were saying how especially we really appreciate men who go out of their way to make women feel safe because they understand that it can Mm -hmm. be a bit frightening. So that's just like one of my things when they're walking so close to me, especially at night. I love that you mentioned to either speed up or cross the street. I usually, I will say, what do I do? I feel like I probably have just like let them pass, but I do like your tip about speeding up or just crossing the street.
0: Well, you know, and it's when somebody's following close to you, it, And this is, you know, we kind of talk about this in our classes. It really, like, that's a broken social norm. Like, you should know how close to be or how close not to be. And yes, maybe some people are just totally ignorant to the fact that it makes women uncomfortable. But especially in today's world, most people kind of know. You know, so it's just, if you feel off and you have that, like... I just feel a little ick about this. Typically, it's because they're breaking social norms. Like, why is this person comfortable walking so close to me? And that's where that moment you feel that so many women go, oh my gosh, I'm just paranoid. I'm just overreacting. I'm fine. And you don't, you know, let's say that you say that to yourself, but that person does have bad intentions. You know, it's not worth the risk. Just take action. You know, like you said, I immediately do something. I think it's so smart, you know, just respond to it. And and some people will advise you to turn around and confront them if you want to. Other people would immediately call 911. So, I mean, we make those judgment calls for ourselves, but I will say locking eyes with them or asking if they're following you a lot of times are going to definitely stop somebody in their tracks a little bit.
1: Yeah, I love that. I feel like that's something I've always heard that when you make that eye contact and you let them know I see you, sometimes depending on the person, I'm sure that does not mm-hmm. work for everyone. That's going to scare them off because you're not as easy of a target mm-hmm. as they thought you were.
0: Yeah. And I mean even like if you're walking like let's say down the street and somebody just like locks eyes with you, it's kind of like, "Oh, what the fuck?" Right? Like it almost kind of like takes you back for a second. So it's true. And I just, again, to, you know, what we started with, like that, it just shows confidence. And I'm not a soft target. I'm not going to go easy. And, I'm I'm willing to do something if you come after me.
1: Yeah, so it just made me think. So I also talked about in a previous episode. So I grew up in Texas and we literally say hi and smile at everyone. That's a very mm-hmm. normal thing. But when I was in DC for a month, I did that and someone ended up following me and it was the most terrifying thing because I was like, in what world does me just being kind, smiling and saying hi, mm-hmm. indicate that it's okay for you to scare the crap out of me and follow me? It was the wildest thing. But I think from then I stopped doing that, especially in unfamiliar places because that is not the norm everywhere. And I Mm -hmm. think with me solo traveling, I'm realizing that there's some things that I just won't do because I don't know if someone's going to take it wrong.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and I think this is really situation dependent, kind of like you said, depending on where you are. And that's where we talk a lot about like researching the norms of an area that you're going to. Like if I'm traveling in, the South, the Midwest, like typically that is more common for people to be mm-hmm. very just like kind and more welcoming, not knowing someone, you hold the door, someone can easily start a conversation with you, right? But mm-hmm. if you're somewhere where that's not typical and that's not how people typically interact, like New York, you know, it's yeah, just kind of knowing those norms can be really important, but also empowering. And I personally I won't be like warm and friendly to somebody, especially when I'm traveling by myself, unless they've initiated that. So so if somebody holds a door for me, I'll say, thank you. I'll be kind, you know, cashier. I say thank you. But if I'm just walking around, if I'm in the airport, if I'm going into a gas station, especially late at night, you'll catch me with a resting bitch face. Like I am not showing like warm bubbly to anybody because I think a lot of times, you know, kind of taking away even what that person would perceive, it makes us feel, it makes me feel vulnerable being really kind and friendly. It's like, I feel soft. Like I want to appear hard and that helps me feel more empowered in whatever situation I'm in, if that kind of makes sense. It does. I, I
1: didn't, I didn't learn that until that situation but I'm grateful that I was able to react quickly because mm-hmm. most of the businesses lock their door which is like I mean also a sign but I was yeah. able to like knock on a door and like someone let me in really quickly because and he waited for me for like 10 minutes so it was oh just gosh. really wild but I learned after that like wow like I like you said I need to know the norms of the area that I'm in and It's not the South or the Midwest everywhere. So I am now definitely at night, everything. And this was like 1030 in the morning, by the way. So Mm -hmm. it was broad daylight during the week. But I'm definitely more of an RBF girl now.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's the same. So the girl that I was talking about that was like, you know, had her phone out. The person actually ended up completely like lunging for the phone and physically attacking her. And she was like, Kaylee, this was literally like morning in my hometown. I felt so safe and secure. I was walking to the bank and somebody completely attacked me. And it really, it can happen anywhere at any time. And and I just think the more though that we, we learn and practice these, you know, quote unquote, like self-defense practices, but really it's just portraying mm-hmm. confidence, right? The more you practice that, the more, first of all, armored you are and the more confident you ultimately feel in those different situations because you've thought through that worst case scenario. So,
1: so true. Okay. So speaking of traveling alone, I want to get some tips on that for our solo travelers. (laughs) So (laughs) what are some essential safety precautions women should take when traveling alone?
0: You know, I think that when you think about it, some of the places that we are, you know, quote unquote, most situationally vulnerable would be transportation, especially if you're relying on somebody else for that transportation and where you're staying. Because normally, you know, if you're sitting in the back of an Uber, you are 100% at the mercy of the driver. If I'm in an Airbnb, a hotel, I'm really kind of at the mercy of the the protection that that location has ensured or provided. So, For me, whenever I travel by myself, I always get rental car like that's a non-negotiable for me I like to be in control of where I'm going when I'm getting there and I for me you know I do a lot of driving so I don't want to have to be on guard all the time and that just is kind of that like safety blanket now with that also does come situations like having to go to the gas station and those kinds of things so if you are traveling somewhere you're not super familiar with you're stopping at a gas station I mean I've stopped in like downtown memphis at like three o'clock in the morning on a saturday and that's not the most secure feeling so with those kinds of things first of all planning it right thinking it through and a lot of times you have to get gas near the airport and sometimes there can be a lot more crime around airports so positioning yourself right you know position yourself towards an exit if it's dark outside really making sure you can i always try to make sure that i can see the freeway from the gas station and vice versa so i'm driving along i hardly even will really like look up the gas station to choose I want to make sure I can see it myself. So those are the gas stations I choose because if I'm ever in a situation where I have to get out of there, first of all, as a little tidbit, you can actually drive away with the pump in your car. Like it's actually fairly easy to do and it'll shut off the gas and there's like a little release on the on the hose. So if you had to do that, you're facing the exit, you leave. Now it's a lot easier to get to a freeway, a highway where we're not coming to stops as opposed to if I had just gone, you know, even just three to five minutes into a, a town I'm unfamiliar with, I don't know how to navigate those streets, especially in the dark. So, you know, just kind of thinking some of those things through and then where you're staying. Do your research. When I first started doing all of my solo travel, I had, you know, used some Airbnbs and stuff I will never forget this. I show up to an Airbnb and they had said that it was basically like a a detached house that I would get, kind of like a mother-in-law thing in the back. I get to their house, I grab the key, I go around the back, I get inside and there literally wasn't like a door separating. I had like a room, a bathroom across the hall, and there wasn't even a door separating me from the actual house. So, I mean, that to me was just like very alarming and I actually ended up not staying there. I just paid the money and then I went and got a hotel because I didn't want to deal with Airbnb. And I was like, I'm done. Like that was enough for me. It just, to me, it's not worth it. I didn't want to have to sleep. There wasn't a lock on my door and I didn't ever want to have to sit and wonder, you know? So after that experience, I always will choose a hotel, but looking at where is that hotel? Is it a motel? Is it like an inn? Because I've seen some hotels and I always use hotels.com to book. And I've seen some that look like they're, you know, an inside hotel and it doesn't say motel on, there and you show up and all the rooms are facing outward. So I, I don't stay at those by myself. And just, I don't know, finding those things that make you feel secure and safe. And I also don't stay on the first floor typically. I
1: love that you mentioned that because I have been grappling with, well, really I've been seeing videos about people saying how they prefer hostels or hotels over Airbnb Personally, I do stay in them because I'm generally traveling for minimum a month. So it's the most affordable thing and it's like your own space. But Mm -hmm. I've just seen so many of those conversations and I was like, hmm, especially with my thoughts of going to Europe, I'm like, should I be looking into hostels? I've honestly only stayed in one, but I wasn't alone and it was in Austin, Texas. But now I'm like considering, but I don't know. I also do love to have my space, but I do get the fact that Airbnbs are generally secluded. But I do have my little extra door lock. I use this for hotels too, if I can, but that little extra door lock that is on Amazon and I have like a travel door stopper, one with Mm -hmm. an alarm. I have like the most things so do you have any additional tips for people who do end up staying in airbnbs
0: you know i think that doing your research is so crucial like if you can figure out like who owns the home i know on some um, websites i honestly i don't use airbnb a ton but if you can see who the actual person is who owns the home first of all only choosing highly rated people looking through all of the reviews and look through like the the ones with one star first you know and some of those it's like they're kind of like petty complaints or like a one off thing like oh the the ac was out while i was there you know but looking at has has there been any kind of history of this person maybe doing something or not securing the home or not living up to what was stated like in my experience with what happened in that Airbnb, I would want to look and see, and I maybe should have posted this, you know, but is there something that they've stated that they're providing or something that they're portraying that didn't live up? Because that's just, you know, why lie about those things? And it just, mm-hmm. that should instill a level of kind of discomfort with that person. So just really doing your research. And I totally understand, like, sometimes it is way more cost effective to use those means. The unfortunate part is there can be a lot of secu- room for security error. But, you know, do your research research, know who you're staying with and really know the area. Like don't just, you know, look up, yeah, look up crime and stuff, but can you get somewhere that's maybe on a second story? So maybe you're not right on the first floor. Can you have your own parking? You know, maybe that would make things feel more secure so you're not parking blocks down the street and having to walk by yourself in a place you're not familiar with and you know just knowing like the streets around you so when you show up there you know how to orient yourself and any of those little gadgets that you can get i will say break-ins most common points of entry are all on the ground floor front door back door and ground floor windows so with that information lock doors and windows i know again it's so common sense but it's so easy to forget, especially when we've we live somewhere, or even in like a, a two-month stay, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, but I only left the door unlocked this one time. But it could be that one time that someone's able to slip inside. So it's just, you know, really getting in those habits.
1: Exactly. I'm one of those people, I double check everything, but it's just a product of again the way that I was raised. I couldn't mm-hmm. ne- if we left the door unlocked, we were in trouble. <laughs> like that was not a thing. But like yeah. I said, I locked the door and then I always have an extra lock, especially when we think about. Airbnbs and hotels. Other people have access to that. Like you're not the only person who can mm-hmm. get into your room. So I always have to have an extra lock so that I can feel comfortable going to bed and like feeling okay. Because at least I know there's something extra stopping them. So I have time, you know, to yeah. prepare myself if anything did happen. But I love yeah, especially that also, with those like alarm things that go off. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't have alarm systems generally when we're at Airbnbs, we have to bring our own. So yeah, yeah exactly. Really just helps me feel safer. Like you said, it makes totally. me really just more confident and just, yeah, we want to feel safe at the end of the day, especially when we're traveling alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, a lot of Airbnbs and stuff too, they have the like little keypads where you're entering in like a number. And that. obviously the owner's going to have that, like you you just don't know who has access to that. So, you know, to your point, having those extra little layers of security, whatever is, you know easiest or best for you i think is so important and whether it is like the the little stuff that sets off an alarm if somebody's coming in or maybe you're somebody who doesn't wake up to loud noises so you have you know just those extra door locks you can get for like hotels or things like Mm -hmm. airbnbs because you just never know and why not feel secure like i like to go to bed and know that there's really no way somebody could break in. Odds are so minimal. I sleep better. You feel better. So I think all those little layers are crucial. Exactly. And I've tested that lock
1: because it looks like something, honestly, I saw it and I was like, what is this going to do? But the guy mm-hmm. I was dating, he's huge, like 6'4", definitely over 200 pounds. And I had him test it. <laughs> and I had him test it with the door unlocked, but me just having the lock. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, like you really can't just get in. It is hard. Like You'd really yeah. have to put a lot of effort into breaking the door down. So just want to say that it does work.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, you know, if somebody feels a locked door, you know, if they're looking to, to break into your house and they, they're trying to like steal stuff or whatever it is, like that's going to present a pretty big barrier to them because what's, you know, the next option would be to go probably either break the door in or break the window. And that's going to be extremely loud. And a lot of times they're wanting to get away with it. You know, it's a crime of opportunity. If the opportunity doesn't present itself, they're probably moving on to the next one. So even if let's say that those locks aren't 100% perfect and your, you know, your boyfriend like ran at it with some kind of a big object <laughs> and it broke it down, then, you know, at least so most people aren't probably going to take it to that next step, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that does. And that's a very good point to point out. So when we are in unfamiliar places and traveling, what tips do you have so that we can feel safe? Literally the other day I saw this girl. So I love social media, but people do post so many things about experiences. But I saw this girl. Mm -hmm. She, I think she was in brussels i want to say and she had okay. her phone up and she was recording some guy was literally following her she was taking the metro and he mm-hmm. followed her because she i think she got on the wrong one so she got off and she just happened to notice that he was literally following her and she was with her friend so they ended up calling an uber and he followed them all the way up to the uber basically oh my so god! it's one that's so scary but do you have any tips like that when you are exploring unfamiliar places and things like that
0: i think the biggest thing that we can do is really, you know, kind of like I said earlier, researching your environment. Because if if you're trying to figure out where you're going as you're in fight or flight freaking out because somebody is following you, it's, you know, a lot of times when we're we're going through that fight or flight response in our body, a lot of times we lose access to our prefrontal cortex, which is going to take away our ability to have, you know, higher levels of thought or reasoning. And we're just kind of acting on impulse, like your body is in survival mode. So really kind of knowing where you're at or what your options are as far as kind of evacuating an area and knowing different unconventional exits, not just where the exit sign is, you know, just kind of having that escape route, being familiar with your environment first and foremost, you know, because again, that helps with confidence. Another thing, you know, and I know that a lot of people think that this is extreme, but call for help, like call 911. And even if my sister actually works in uh, communications for Washington State Patrol and, she always says, like, you can, first of all, if you're ever in your car and you call 911 and it's up to your ear, and most places, that's you're, you're not gonna get in trouble for that. In addition to that, if you just call and leave the line open, they can still help you. So even if you can't talk, you know, you're running around, you're freaking out, and you call 911, they can still, you know, send officers to where you are. So call for help. And again, I know that that sounds so extreme, but you have that extra layer of protection. Somebody should not be following you like that trust your gut, respond when things are off. And if you have tactical items that you've been trained with, use them. But if you do not have training and you have not regularly practiced with something like pepper spray, do not pull it out to be used. Like we do a demo in our classes and a lot of times when we go to use it, we actually run towards the perpetrator or it's not as easy to actually pull out and, you know, execute and locking it and locking it as easy as we think it would be. So if you're bringing something into a situation that's high stress, make sure you have a lot of experience with it.
1: That's a really good tip because I think that sometimes we carry those things and I have to be honest, when I carry them, I've never tried them. I maybe have Mm -hmm. sprayed it at a wall once. Like when I was outside, but outside of that, I had never tried it. So if there are, because you're saying there's a lot of different little things that you kind of have to maneuver when you use pepper Mm -hmm. sprays.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I just think with, with so many situations, like we want there to be this like glamorous fix, this like big aha safety tip. But in reality, like with anything, it's, practice and it's confidence. And it is a lot of just common sense ideas. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where people almost don't want to practice these things because they're like, oh, well, it's just, it's so easy. I don't really have to think about it, but it's like, but you have to get in the habit of doing these things, you know, researching where you're going. So you feel in control. You're in a scary situation. Call for help, maximize distance, get to safety. Do not try to be texting on your phone and frankly, don't try to be recording it. You know, if somebody is actually trying to get to you, don't waste your time being on your phone and coordinating all of that. Like you should be on the phone with 911, getting yourself to safety, getting to a populated, area somewhere where you can again get to that physical safety from that person and it's not always glamorous there's not always these big fixes because you really have to think these things through and prepare yourself for success and also respond with confidence you know and get away from that person you don't want to come into physical contact with them
1: yeah i love that i think those are really great points so what are some basic home security measures we can implement to feel safer at home?
0: This is one that I, I love because I feel like so many people get really nervous inside their own homes. And and truthfully, I think just to kind of ease some nerves, most break-ins are happening in the middle of the day, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. when nobody's home. So I think first understanding that just to ease a little bit of nerves And then, you know, a lot of it is just like we've been talking about visibility. If your yard is really overgrown and let's say you're in a cul-de-sac, but you're kind of set back a little bit or your house is freestanding, you don't have, there's not as much visibility on your home. So it makes it easier for somebody to think they can get away with something. And also if all of your yard is overgrown, you know, if you're in an actual home, then that's probably going to tell somebody that this house is maybe not being taken care of. Maybe a door is unlocked. Maybe a door is like rotted, or maybe this person isn't there. You know, there's there's a lot of things that they could kind of conclude from that. So just upkeep, increasing as much visibility as possible in your home. Sliding doors and windows can actually be a lot easier to open, even when they're locked, than we would think. So. You know, get a wooden dowel, put it in the track of the window, the door, you know, just again, adding that extra layer of security. And like I said before, so common sense, but lock your doors and windows, like such common sense, but really something that does actually make a difference. And cameras, motion-censored lights, cameras actually make it three times less likely that somebody would break into your home. So people don't want to get caught. You know, they want it to be Mm -hmm. easy. So just the mere presence of that could deter somebody. And I know people talk about dogs, you know, but loud noises, that's an obstacle. They may not want to deal with it. So just, you know, kind of thinking through all those things, trying to limit exposure into your home so somebody could look and, you know, scout different things that they might like or be able to tell like, okay, if I broke in here, I'd have to get to there. And that would lead me to the back door and kind of knowing the setup of your home. But like anything, just pay attention. If you see somebody coming around your house often or taking pictures of your house, be aware of it. They say that a decent majority of people are going to live within, I believe it's a two mile radius of where you live. So a lot of these things, you know, they've thought through, they even some people will come and knock on your door in the middle of the day to see if somebody's home before breaking in. So trying to just, make your home lively like somebody's home instead of keeping it quiet with the lights off. So yeah, just some things to kind of think about.
1: Yeah, I like that. And another thing, so at my family's home, they also use like the big door stoppers, like the long, like metal-looking thing. Which mm-hmm. I had saw something recently that I think someone was talking about. Like you said, it was the middle of the day. A woman's house got broken into, and they were saying you could even use that like on a bathroom door. Like if you were running to hide somewhere, that you could use mm-hmm. that and at least give like give yourself time, which is something I had actually never. Thought about, but we, yeah. we have those all over our house. <laughs> but that's something that I had never thought about before—is using it on an inside door.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think I, I like that you pointed out to give yourself time because I think people forget that that's such a crucial thing. Like, if you have even just a couple extra minutes, that's a couple extra minutes for law enforcement to get to That's a couple extra minutes to find, like we were talking about those those objects, like what's around me? What can I use? Like, could I use this microphone? You know, could I use, what what am I swinging at somebody? You know, it's, it's it really time is so important in any kind of high stress situation like that. Yes. So I have heard,
1: and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that parking lots and parking garages are one of the top places where attacks or abductions for women could happen. So do you have any tips on how we can safely navigate parking lots and parking garages?
0: Yes. So... And this is one thing I hear a lot of anxiety about from, you know, especially the women that we work with and specifically we work with a lot of college women that are having to do this often. And again, like I hate to keep repeating myself, but so often it really comes down to space, right? Space and confidence, limit your distractions to that stranger that told you, you know, (laughs) to get off your phone. Like that is one of the best things you can do, right? Because again, we're seeing things before they ever get close to us, responding to them while we did talk about you know, with your cars, if something's on it that it, you know, like a zip tie or whatever, it's probably not a trafficker, but it also could be maybe somebody trying to distract you so they could steal something from you. You know, you just never know. So if something does feel off, while I'm telling you it probably isn't a trafficker, you should still absolutely hone in on that, you know, and respond to it. Go back inside if you feel unsafe. If you're coming up to your car, you know, don't just go around trying to unlock it when you can't see all your doors because really, you know, the odds somebody slipping into your car are probably relatively slim, but it also just helps us number one, put that extra layer of protection, but also not have to fear that somebody's sitting in there. So make sure you can see all your doors before you unlock it. I know a lot of cars have the feature where if you hit unlock, it's only unlocking the driver's side. So mm-hmm. looking that up in your manual, a lot of times you can actually like switch that setting to make it so I hit unlock it. It's only unlocking my door, not all of them. And just again, you know, it starts with where you park, like parking with as much exposure as possible, remembering where I park. And even if you don't try to act like you know exactly where you're going, you know, and try to avoid looking lost because that totally changes our body language. Walk around setting off your your alarm, you know, look for your car. And sometimes they will say we may not be able to fully avoid stairs or elevators if you feel really unsafe and it's late at night it's maybe kind of an area that's known to be unsafe consider walking up the big huge like like little alleyway things that like go up the what am i trying to say the like the driving port like the (laughs) main roads you know not walking up the stairs and stuff but just the main roads and in a parking garage if you're going up to your car going down to your car consider doing that because again you have as much a lot more space there than you do in a confined staircase or a confined elevator but head up have your wits about you limit those points of vulnerability like having all of your doors unlocked things feel off 100 go back and if you even if you see somebody that's like been circling and you can tell they're watching you not for a spot and something just feels off about it go back inside like i can't stress that enough
1: yeah, I love that. And you even just mentioning taking the main road in a parking garage versus the stairs or elevator if it's late and you just feel like maybe, you know, just feel a little uneasy because it is late. I mm-hmm. I did hear someone talking about just, I don't know if this might have been towards buildings, but the difference between taking like stairs and elevator and they said stairs were safer. And honestly, I don't know that I would have thought that. So I don't know. What if mm-hmm. your what are your thoughts on elevators versus stairs if those are your only two options?
0: So I mean, it depends on where I'm at. You know, if it's a situation like a parking garage where I feel a little uneasy about something, 100 percent stairs. Because with stairs, if something feels off, you have the ability to run. If you're stuck in an elevator with somebody and they make you feel uncomfortable, first of all, you're going whatever direction you're going in that elevator. Like if you're going up, you're going up. You're You know, there's no way to get back down. And you don't know what could happen in that small enclosed space with a perpetrator. And truthfully, you know, especially when you're not very experienced with physical training, if somebody comes at you, you're not trying to completely beat the living crap out of them, right? You're trying to create a window for yourself to run to safety if you're in that elevator and you've created that window for yourself you can't run anywhere so yeah i would say stairs 100
1: that makes sense generally if i'm by myself it's nighttime if i feel weird i'm getting off the elevator <laughs> if they yeah. get in and i'm just like that person does not have good energy i just get off and i don't care what it looks like
0: totally i was actually uh, i was just at a hotel a couple weeks ago and i mean this guy seemed totally fine but he he just like he was asking like the weirdest questions i was like in the little like snack area you know in the hotel and there was some dispute at the front desk so I was like taking my time looking at all the snacks and and he kept coming up like trying to ask me the most odd questions like hey do you know if you can drink the tap water here I mean just like random questions and mm. he didn't seem like he was trying to hurt me but it just felt off and I went to go upstairs and he'd been kind of lingering in the in the lobby and I was like you know what I'm gonna go to the bathroom I'm just sitting there for a second I'm gonna let him go up and then I'm gonna go up myself so and you could consider that paranoia but to me I Again, like we were talking about, it's trusting your gut. Didn't mean that he was a bad human being, that I'm going to be rude to him, but I felt off about it. So I'm going to remove myself, go sit in the bathroom, wait for him to clear the vicinity before I put myself in an enclosed space in that elevator.
1: Yeah, that's a really good tip. That makes a lot of sense. So what can we do to make sure that we are prepared for roadside emergencies? I feel like there's nothing worse than something happening in your car, especially at night.
0: Yes. It's so funny you ask this. I So I've never, ever had my car like, break down, especially at nighttime. And I had been posting about like all my stories as I was driving, which isn't the safest thing to do. But I was driving from a class from northern to southern California. My boyfriend was in the passenger seat. I'm posting about it. And I ended up... I was, I don't remember what freeway I was on in California, hit a huge pothole, blew out my tire. And it was like, what are the odds that the second that I'm posting about this, I blow out a tire on the side of the road? And I will tell you, if I was in that situation by myself, it was about two o'clock in the morning and First of all, in the middle of the night, it's going to be a lot more difficult to to get, acu- you know, actual help. And if you're a single female and a man shows up to come get your car and you're in a situation where you're either jumping in an Uber with somebody or, you know, getting into their car to go wherever your car is going, to me, it's just not worth it. Like, I would leave my car there, lock it, put a note on it because they can technically tow it. You could even, you know, call the non-emergency line, let them know and go to a hotel for the night to me there's there's no amount of money that's worth being in a situation where i genuinely feel extremely unsafe and you're sitting in a car on the side of the freeway you know so in those situations just remove yourself you can always do it the next morning get up early go back to your car again put a note on it i left my car here i'm coming back in the morning for it you know when i felt safer whatever it is to avoid it hopefully getting towed but in knowing Like, what would I do? What number am I calling? Do I have AAA? Do I have, you know, I have USAA. So knowing like, what is the process like and and getting help on the side of the road, locking your doors, just I think really thinking through What would I what's my worst case scenario, right? Probably having your car break down in the middle of the night Okay, let's walk it back. If that happens, what kind of insurance do I have? What are my options as far as getting my car to where it needs to go? Cool. Now What's in my general vicinity if i'm going on a road trip or whatever it is Where could I take myself if I felt uncomfortable in that situation because ultimately your car is important You're way more important, you know, so just having that information ahead of time So again, you feel as confident as possible going into that situation
1: yeah I love that you say that I have had a tire go out on me it wasn't in the middle of the night but it was at night I was lucky in the fact that I had I think I was coming back from somewhere so I think my friends were like following each other so like Mm -hmm. I wasn't completely alone but I know roadside assistance came and I mean just the fact that it's at night I'm going to be a little bit freaked out but that can be kind of scary when they come because it's like are you really roadside assistance, especially when they come before you call? Yeah. So I just think that those are really good tips because I feel like I wouldn't even want to roll the window down.
0: Totally. You know, and if you're somewhere where obviously you know people, like this is more if you're somewhere where you don't know anybody. But if you do know people, it like call somebody to come with you, whether it's a friend or a romantic partner or family, you know, whoever you can get to come help you in that situation so you're not sitting there on the side of the road by yourself, especially if it's on a freeway. Like, get them to take you away from the situation so you're not sitting there because it's extremely unsafe.
1: Yeah, definitely. Just even being there, it feels really unsafe. So,
0: Mm -hmm. how can
1: we protect ourselves while we're using public transportation like Ubers and taxis? I know you mentioned when you travel solo, you always rent a car, but I'm one of the Mm -hmm. people just with traveling for so long, renting a car is so expensive. So, what tips do you have for that?
0: So, you know, like anything, research it, know what is. If you're, especially like if you're taking like city buses or city transportation, know the routes, know where you're getting off, know what is also commonly used, common crimes, stick to yourself. Again, RBF, like that's the situation where I wouldn't be making friends with everybody, smiling at everybody, you know, I'm, I got my head up, I'm not on my phone, I'm not distracted, paying attention, I know where I'm going and really trying to find like again if you're in new york city versus la there's there's just different norms on how people interact and how i don't know like even just transportation works in general so knowing those things so we can just try to blend in a little bit more and just kind of go on our way you know and with lyft and uber obviously there's so many different safety features that they offer somebody tracking your ride there's the check-in feature on your phone
1: for a me, feature.
0: I don't think I am familiar with that one. Yeah, it's like it's a new iPhone feature. I've n- I haven't used it. I've only honestly just like read up on it and seen TikToks on it. So it's it basically like you can like check in with somebody when you've gotten somewhere or just kind of I am mean, truthfully, exactly what we would do normally, just like over text. But now there's a feature for it. Okay. But truthfully, if you, especially if you're traveling a lot, I just have my location on. You know, I may not always be like sending somebody when I'm departing and when I'm arriving. But if it's a situation where you you know even like if you're let's say going on like a date with somebody from a dating app you don't know that person so that's when I would definitely be like hey this is where I'm going this is when you should expect to hear from me having those check-ins but you know when it comes to Lyft and Uber I think there's a lot of Talk about where to sit. And it's a really, I don't know, there's a lot of controversy about it. And people will say the front seat because you have as much exposure as really the, the spot with the most exposure is a front seat, right? Windshield, if something went wrong, you're in a slower place. People have talked about, you know, grabbing for the wheel and helping direct the car. There's, You know, also lower risk, you'd have child locks on. But the back seats, if you're sitting diagonal, you're furthest from the driver. But, you know, also in the front seat, it's probably easiest for them to hold any kind of weapon to you because you're right next to them. But in the back seat, diagonal, you have, you know, the most space away from them. But they could also probably still kind of hold a weapon to you. And you're not really at like a a point of advantage if you were trying to respond to the driver. Now, if you're sitting directly behind them, it's hard for them to see you. It's hard for them to hold a weapon to you. The only, you know, harder thing is that if you're trying to get out, if you're in the furthest lane to the left, you run the risk of possibly getting out into oncoming traffic and back seats, there is a higher risk of the child locks. So I think it's really just thinking through where do you feel most comfortable responding. Are you somebody who could go for the driver if something happened? In that case, maybe you're sitting behind them? Are you somebody who wants to assert your dominance off you know the get-go and sit in the front seat? Do you just kind of want to avoid the driver altogether and sit diagonal from them? I think there's reasons to to argue all places, and, and some drivers actually won't allow you to sit right behind them and some may not allow you to sit right beside them. So you know, just kind of thinking those things through, and again, what would I do in my worst case scenario?
1: Yeah, I love that you bring up the seat positioning because I was recently talking about this with a few mm-hmm. of my friends, and just if we were in the Ubers by ourselves, like what we would do. And I was saying when I talked to my mom, we talked about, but she also is, I told you about her, she's very scrappy. So Mm -hmm. she mentioned sitting behind so that you do have the upper hand. So if you're looking at your route and you realize that person is not going where he's supposed to, you mention it, he's being real shady. Again, she's Mm -hmm. scrappy. So she's the one to take the purse strap and try to choke him out. And she probably will. (laughs) But obviously that's not realistic for everyone. So I love that you mentioned that do what is best for you, because like you said, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of controversy on it. And you have to do if you know that you're not comfortable and you know that you probably wouldn't be the one to take the driver on, then do what makes the most sense. So I love that you broke it down like that.
0: Totally, you know, and I think that, and there's definitely people that would argue that, you know, and I know that a lot of people would argue right behind them. But again, first of all, sometimes they may not let you. And like you said, you know, if you're not somebody who would be willing to do that, maybe you don't want to sit there. But I will say with the child lock thing, that's something I do hear a lot. And it's really not a common thing. Violent crime is actually, unfortunately it does happen and it shouldn't, but it's not as common as we typically think with Lyft and Uber. But if you want to check for child locks, it's right on the outside of the rear doors. And typically it's just a little switch that you can like flip up or down. But I will say if it was on, doors unlocked, there's no way you're getting out of that car. So some people like to check it when they get a Lyft and Ubers. Again, it's not overly common, but if it's something you want to check, it's pretty easy.
1: Yeah, one thing that I do sometimes I've done it. Well, I'll say I've done it once. But I've mentioned like, oh, I get really bad motion sickness, I have to have the window down. So at the very least, I can try to get out the window, at least something's open. So I don't know, that could be an option. And also something I was recently talking to my mom about because in like my car, I always have that little window breaker for like, if you get into a situation where you have to get out of your car, like a fire or something. But mm-hmm. my thought was, oh, why don't I take something similar with me traveling? And I I looked up on Amazon, I did see smaller things that they say it can break the window. Of course, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. I always was like, that could be an option for someone who takes lifts and Ubers all the time. So at the very least, like, maybe you can break the window. You can try.
0: Absolutely. And I think like, I I love that you're having these conversations with people about these things, because I think that's the one place where a lot of people go wrong is not thinking about what would I do? You know, and it's not paranoia that is being prepared. And ultimately, I truly believe you feel so much more confident when, and we, this is like the whole idea of You know what we teach with situational self-defense. If you think about your worst case scenario and you're prepared for what you would be capable of doing or willing to do, you're going to feel so much better in that situation because you've already thought through the worst thing that could happen.
1: Exactly. And it's like you have this plan. And even if it's not like me just having those conversations, like it's not top of mind all the time. But I feel like Mm -hmm. when I get into those situations, it comes to your mind because like you said, you've thought about it and you've had that like little evacuation plan or safety plan in your head. So I Mm -hmm. agree. It's really important. So I try to have those conversations with my friends and especially just because I'm doing a month of safety. I feel like I have been talking about it even more and I've Mm -hmm. been doing more research and just having more conversations to see what my friends think and like just things that are on their mind. So it's been really helpful for myself, honestly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, think about the amount of confidence you probably have going into these situations now because you've thought about it and you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, I got this. You know, even if, yeah, we get in a real situation, maybe sometimes we don't know if we would fight or flight or freeze or, you know, whatever else. But if we have just at least thought it through, I think that just instills such an extra layer of confidence and competence in those situations. And people feel that.
1: I agree. Definitely. So what about going out at night? What are some key precautions that you would recommend?
0: I also love this question because this is something, you know, actually with the former agent that I was speaking with, she was in FBI, CIA. And I was like, what do you think is the, the biggest risk to women at large? And she said, 100% spiking like people putting stuff in your drinks. It could happen anywhere. She gave this story. She was out with Navy SEALs when she was out on a mission and she actually ended up having something put into her drink. Now, typically when we're going out, first of all, alcohol is Going to be your most common date rape drug, right? We all kind of are probably relatively familiar with those symptoms. And then there's also GHB or hypnol and ketamine are going to be typically like the most common ones for the most part. If you start at all, and I mean, some of these symptoms can start coming on anywhere from like a minute to like 30 minutes, you know, or maybe even a little bit more, but they can come on right away. So the second that you start feeling, first of all, any kind of symptom of drinking that feels off for that situation over how much you've drank, what you've drank, or it just really anything that just feels like, okay, I only had, you know, a drink and I'm feeling so intoxicated. Going back to what we talked about, trust your gut, you have to do something. Now, to kind of walk that situation back, I know everybody's heard to safeguard your drink, but sometimes there are situations that we don't even think about that our drinks are actually highly at risk in. And I love, I, I don't know if, have you heard of nightcap? No, I haven't. So there are these scrunchies that oh, you put on I've your wrist. Oh, I've heard
1: of those. I, I, saw it yes. on your, I saw it on your Instagram. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I love the idea. First, It's like a, a brother and a sister that found it. They were on Shark Tank and they're just the coolest people. Such a smart idea. You know, just something to really, so you don't have to really think about it as much. But, you know, if I hand my drink to my best friend, to my boyfriend, who I love and trust, if we're out drinking... First of all, you're probably focused on what's happening right in front of you. So you probably don't even have 100% of your attention on your own drink. Now, somebody's sitting there with their drink. Again, even as much as we might love and trust them, then they're holding your drink. Your drink is last priority, right? So, I mean, spiking happens so quick. The, The ice trick, you know, if it sinks, like really not a legitimate indicator of if something's in your drink. You can't really smell it. You can't really taste it. You can't see it. So you want to reduce... The risk of that happening. Don't give your drinks to anybody if you're going to the restroom. Take it with you, finish it, get a new one when you come out. You're on a date with somebody. Don't leave your drink sitting there when you go to the bathroom. Same exact thing. You know, thinking about the situations your drink could be vulnerable in that we don't always associate. You know, it's not just leaving it on a table and going to do something. So, First and foremost, you know, safeguard your drinks. Something feels off, take action. You can always order an angel shot if you need to, get bar staff to come help you. There's actually three ways you can order those too. So, you know, just kind of having that in mind. And I think I would argue the most important important thing go out with people you trust i was in a situation when i actually lived in mexico for a summer and went out with people didn't know them very well i got super intoxicated i fell asleep on a beach and woke up with my entire bag stolen phone passport all my important stuff so you know going out with people we trust that will be there at the end of the night make sure we're okay, are okay leaving if we feel uncomfortable, really one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. I love that
1: you mentioned that because I think that is the thing, like going out with the people that you trust, especially if you're going to be drinking. And then mm-hmm. I guess if you're not, or if you're going out with people that you don't really know, maybe try not to drink too much. But I definitely I definitely agree with going out with the people that you trust. And like you said, you got yourself into that situation and you found out quickly that those just were not your friends and or people that you probably would want to really hang out with again. So I think that's a very important tip to make.
0: Totally. And I think that, you know, and to that point, like when I travel, like I've gone out for a drink or two before, you know, and like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, again, our whole point is we want to live life. And I think that it is so empowering. It might be really fucking awkward at first, but it is so empowering to go sit at a bar or sit down at dinner by yourself. Mm -hmm. So to your point, like, yeah, you know, go have the drink, but just don't drink as much as maybe we would if we had that extra layer of protection of having someone we trust with us.
1: Yes, I am definitely the queen of going out solo to bars, to restaurants, anything. And I advocate Mm -hmm. that because like you said, it's so empowering. And honestly, you don't know who you'll meet. Like, I feel like when you're by yourself, it's easier for people to come and talk to you. And I've met some of my good friends that way. But yeah, I definitely advocate for that. Yeah. So are there any safety apps or devices that women should consider using?
0: So I'm not like the hugest proponent of the safety apps, because again, I just think that that takes away a level of engagement you have with your surroundings. So I'm not the best person to talk about that with. I would say as far as like items, I love, 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 love Invisaware. I think it's the coolest thing out there. And that? it's um, it's jewelry that you wear. So I would always advocate for the necklace over anything because necklace is going to be closest, easiest to, to touch and use with any of their items it's basically like they're pendant so there's like they have them again hanging from a necklace and they're really cute and if you click the back of it three times and it's not like super easy to click But it'll alert up to five emergency contacts and emergency services. So, you know, if you have your phone in your pocket, maybe you've called somebody because you do feel unsafe. You put it in your pocket though, so you're not actively in that phone conversation. If somebody were to come and grab me, you click the back of that three times and it alerts people that, you know, you're in danger. So I think that's one of the coolest items. Again, it's an everyday thing. They're cute. On top of that, I would say just if you feel comfortable, again, if you're gonna train with it, pepper spray, pepper gel, knowing the difference. You know, they're they're Relatively the same, but they do—they they work differently. Pepper gel is typically going to be a lot more precise, safer to use indoors. Pepper spray has a wider dispersal range. There is higher chance of blowback if you live somewhere. Windy, I probably wouldn't recommend that first. But if you're in a situation where there's multiple assailants, there's probably a higher chance you're gonna hit more than one of them. But you know, you have to be careful because there's also a higher chance you're gonna hit yourself. So again, being willing to practice with that. We we work with a company, they actually sell water canisters. So they they have like these cute little holsters for the pepper spray. You can take them out for the water canister in so you can actually practice with them. And that's what we'll practice with like in our classes. So practice with it. Please, 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 if you're carrying it, practice with it. Bird are a great tool. You know, again, it's just making a really loud noise. If you want to kick it up a notch, they have tasers, stun guns, all that kind of stuff. But I think the more advanced your weapon gets, the more you better ensure that you are training with it because it would almost take a perfect situation. To whip out pepper spray and use it to where it truly subdues your perpetrator. So train, train, train with it. You don't want it used against you. You don't want it to be rendered ineffective in a situation where you're relying on that. You know, you're stopping your tracks. You're not running. You're trying to use it. If it doesn't work, you've probably now further pissed off your your perpetrator. So yeah, yeah. A, good it, point to a lot of people think that these things are just bulletproof. Like you're gonna whip it out and it's gonna be easy to use and it's going to be effective. And that's just that's just not entirely the case. So know what you're comfortable carrying. And it's not one size fits all. There are some people that carry guns, and I would never carry one myself. I would never recommend that to somebody, especially if they don't feel comfortable around them. You know, So feel comfortable with your weapon, train with it, and think through how you would use it. Yes.
1: Very, very solid advice. Like you said, if you don't feel comfortable and you piss off that perpetrator, then it's <laughs> easily going to escalate the
0: situation. Yeah, absolutely. And your pepper spray, we think is like, oh, I just whip it out and I just spray it, but it's like there there's a little lock on it still. And you know, and you're also not just spraying straight. Like you want to go left to right, make sure you cover their face. And when you are pulling that out, it is split second. You know, you really have to pull it out, use it, lock it and run. So train with it. We'll have in our classes two people stand facing away from each other. So I recommend, you know, and even if you want to expose yourself to what pepper spray actually feels like, I think that could be a smart thing to do. I know that might be controversial, but um, even if it's just the water canister, put it in there, have two people face away from each other, have someone else say go or something, have one person start charging at the other person and try to whip out that pepper spray and actually use it. And you'll see how difficult it is and how panicked you get. So, you know, practice, train with those kinds of things as much as you can. Yes. And going back to the necklace
1: that you mentioned, I'm pretty sure on the iPhone there's something similar because I know I've done it on accident a few times, like the Mm -hmm. safety feature. I don't know if you've ever done it. And I think you have to I think you have to hold it for a certain amount of seconds, but then it will like Mm -hmm. message your emergency contacts, I think. So I don't know. Are you familiar with that?
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure you can actually go in and uh, like under accessibility, I, maybe it's accessibility, but I think that you can like program how many times you click something for that to pop up or for that to happen. Or you, you can kind of customize that to your liking, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Because I just remember I used to do an accent all the time and then I went in and changed it, but I'd have to go back and look. So even like that could be a potential option for like a tool if someone, that's all they have. And well, you have to know how to use it, but that is an option.
0: <laughs> Yeah. And I'll say to you, I know this sounds like a really weird tactical item, but a lot of law enforcement will tell people to get a tactical flashlight. You want to make sure it's tactical so it's bright enough. But that's another thing where if you shine that at somebody, it's going to momentarily blind them, giving you time to run away. If that person comes close to you and you have a tactical flashlight, even if it's, you know, this big, that's going to be a lot more effective than, you know, again, that that key between your fist and you can easily swing that at somebody. Again, going for Hopefully, like the side of the head where you can make them pass out.
1: That is good to know, especially just the side of the head. I feel like a lot of people also talk about going for the jugular, but it seems like side of head (laughs) is if they can pass out, that's like perfect opportunity.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think we really kind of focus on like eight areas to strike and just making sure, again, we're going for the most vulnerable, sensitive places. And depending on the situation, you're going to have different areas exposed to you. So just kind of knowing what you would feel comfortable with, just being aware of those places sometimes can just help us feel, again, like we're more prepared and have the confidence to do something and don't believe that just because somebody's grabbed onto you and they're bigger than you, that you have zero fighting chance.
1: Yeah, I think that's important to like, like you said, not think that you have zero fighting chance because I think. There's a portion of the world who would like us to believe that. But like you said, if you have some kind of tool or at least some kind of training or some kind of knowledge, like you do have a chance. And that's something that you do learn in self-defense. I remember when I took it and they taught us this move and I was able to flip over a man that was way bigger than me. Mm -hmm. So I just mean there are different things, like you said, like the different pressure points and different things that we can do to give ourselves that fighting chance.
0: Yeah, and you know even if you don't have training or the the cool moves and stuff like you have to think like if you are somebody who's trying to get away with a crime, especially let's go back to the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Parking lots are fairly populated. You never know when someone's coming out or, or leaving, you know? So in those situations, this person wants it to happen quick. And if it's not happening quick and there's a tension being drawn to that situation, they very well might let you go just because it's difficult to get you wherever they're trying to get you. So, and again, that's not perfect solution. That's not going to happen every time, but it definitely increases your chances.
1: Yeah. One thing my mom has always taught me as a safety tip since I was little was whatever you do, try not to let them get you into the car because you are better off fighting where you're at. Just do everything you can to fight where you're at. Mm So that's one of the major tips she always taught us.
0: I want to meet your mom. She sounds like a total (laughs) badass. You guys have not (laughs) had the best conversation yet. Yeah. And I mean, because a lot of times, like if you do get into a vehicle and you're headed to a secondary location with them, you're probably driving either to your place of assault or sometimes it could be a long slow painful grave site as well so yeah you just don't want to you don't want to go with them and if i actually um there was i don't remember the name of the documentary it was on netflix it was about actually a killer in texas and there was a, a woman that he had taken and i believe she was i want to say in like her 20s or something and she was in the car and i don't know how fast it was going i can't remember but she had actually ended up jumping out of the car on the f- I want to say like a freeway or a highway. And she ended up surviving and very much saved her life by getting out of the car.
1: Wow. Wow. I think that is also, yeah, something to know. I feel like I have seen something similar, but I think I want to say he was trying to sell her car and he stopped at the gas station maybe to use her credit or her debit card. And she was Mm -hmm. able to figure out a way to get out of the car when he was like leaving the gas station. But like you said, yeah, I mean, either way, it's a risk. But I think I would rather take the risk of jumping out of the car, even as scary as that sounds.
0: One thousand percent. You like
1: kind of know what's going to happen versus being taken somewhere. You have no idea what's what you're headed to. So I, yeah, I and I
0: think that. it's important, too, to remember, like, if you are in a situation where somebody is actually trying to to take you, don't just scream and don't just yell help. Because so often we explain those sounds away with typically what we most commonly associate the sound with. Like, did you hear about the um, University of Idaho murder case? Is that the one with the roommate? No. Yes.
1: Oh, it is? Okay. Okay, yes. yeah. Yeah.
0: Like the, I think it was the four people that passed away. Yes. Okay. I heard about that one. Yeah. So there was there was um two of the roommates that survived, and one of them had claimed that she thought that they were, they were like playing with a dog upstairs. That somebody was like in an argument because your mind isn't going to that worst case scenario. Like she's not sitting there like, oh, you know, somebody is like lethally attacking my roommates upstairs because we would just never think of that because we were not commonly exposed to that. So we explain that noise away with what we most commonly hear that with. So in a situation where somebody's trying to take you, if we just start screaming, we're probably going to go, oh, that's just probably, you know, somebody messing around or maybe somebody saw a bug. You know, we're explaining all of that away in our heads. So you always want to try to explain what's happening, give direction, single somebody out, easily say like, you in the pink, there's blood, call 911, right? Giving direction, calling them out and trying to somehow explain what might be happening.
1: Yes, and one other thing, if you do have to come in contact with your perpetrator, my mom always said the thumbs in the eye That can really take someone down. I'm so shocked by that, honestly. But yeah, sticking your thumbs in their eyes.
0: In, if somebody ever has you like in close quarters, and we all have all probably heard like you know strike the groin, but mm-hmm. if you can't actually strike the groin and you're in close quarters, as long as they're not wearing skin tight jeans or something, you can also grab, squeeze, twist, and pull their balls as hard as you can, and I guarantee it'll be quite uncomfortable. So to the point with the eyes, like find those soft spots, those places that really inflict a lot of pain and discomfort to give you that window to get away.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good one. I hadn't heard that one, but. Now it's locked in. (laughs) (laughs) I think we talked about this a little bit, but what's the importance of situational awareness and assertiveness when it comes to self defense?
0: I mean, it's extremely crucial, right? Like, there's different levels of awareness. And I think often we assume that we are completely safe when we're not. Like, we might think, you know, I'm in a parking lot, my car's locked, I'm sitting in there, I can just go on my phone and tune out. And that's not the case. If you are walking, even if it's broad daylight, you're with a friend, you still can't be completely tuned out of what's happening around you. So, always having that level of being on guard, being alert, being aware. We try to make that realistic in the sense that we know that humans are imperfect and we're still going to go on our phone in the car. We still might pick up our phone when we're walking with a friend. So, it's how can we do that, but still be safe? You know, if you are picking up your phone and you're in the car and your doors are locked, even if it's dark outside, make sure you survey your surroundings. You know, we're looking for those red flags. We are never completely tuned out of what's happening around us. So, situational awareness is absolutely key because that's what helps keep us from those physical encounters by knowing what's happening in our immediate environment.
1: Yes, that's also something I talked about recently, but I know sometimes when we get into our phone, it is so easy to literally forget everything that's going mm-hmm. on around you because most of us think we can multitask, but we generally can't do it as well as we think we can so i think that's important to note that if you are someone who you get so engrossed in things that's something to just have a mental note of so that's something you can be aware
0: of totally and you know, multitasking is like the whole idea of it is that you're dividing your attention to multiple things, right? So dividing that attention in a situation where we need our attention on our environment, like walking alone at night, should not even be up for debate. In a car where you are, you know, you do have locked doors, there is a layer of protection there. If you're walking with someone, there's a layer of protection. So yeah, we can maybe still fall into that gray area of safety, but never, you know, to your point, just totally zoning out on that phone and locking everything else, you you out of your mind.
1: Yeah. And there's something I noticed. I was using one of my friend's car and I don't know if it's older cars or all cars because I can't remember what my car does. But I I want to say when I stopped the car, something like the doors unlocked, it was something like that. And I think that is something yeah. to also be or maybe it was when I turned the car off. But that's something to be aware of because if you're going to sit in there for a few seconds, like making sure that you don't have that setting on your car.
0: Totally. You know, there's so many random settings on cars. Now, like my mom's car, when you get a certain distance away from it, it automatically locks it itself yeah, there's like really strange features so i think kind of to that point like know those features on your car and and if you don't like them or you want to change them more often than not you can go to your user manual and either alter it reverse it but just like being aware of those things because if you don't know your car does that and it's unlocked you're in a parking lot you happen to zone out you don't have that layer of protection anymore
1: yeah definitely so definitely going to the user manual i've never actually thought about that but that's a good point to make
0: Yeah. Even if it's just Google.
1: (laughs) I know. Yeah. I'm like (laughs) queen of Google. And now it's also like chat GPT tells you so many things if you just type it in there too. Totally. But um, I do want to ask this. Honestly, I'm like, I don't know if I care about it, but I do want to ask. So (laughs) what should we know about the legal aspects of self-defense? I say, I don't know if I care about it because I feel like, and again, this goes back to what I've taught, but it's always like my mom said, it's either you or them, like you're going to choose you. So For me, it's Mm -hmm. any means necessary, but what are the legal aspects of self-defense?
0: I mean, self-defense is in and of itself self-defense, right? If somebody comes after you, and especially that is, you know, for all the things that we, that women sometimes have to go through that are very unfair, the one thing we do have on our sides, especially in today's culture, is that people are typically going to take the side of the woman in a self-defense situation. So that obviously, I will say for things like sexual assaults, that does tend to be a little different. I think we're getting better as a culture in a society, but typically, you know, you have decent odds of being able to prove that your life could have been at risk. Now, when it comes to, say, carrying tactical items with self-defense or anything like that, it's really going to vary place to place. Like Some people will carry retractable batons. I believe in Washington, you can actually carry one on you. You can have one in your home. There's places where you literally can't even have one in your home. So I think it's really smart to not only research what you're carrying, but look up, okay, where is or is this not legal? So if I'm traveling, what are my options with that? If I'm if I'm flying and I care, tend to carry pepper spray, what are my options with that? You know, so it's, again, to your point, I think when it comes down to like, oh, can I actually like do something like hitting them in the side of the head that could really take them out or go for their eyes, that could cause lasting damage. Your life or theirs. I think your mom is brilliant in saying that, you know, and if I'm sitting there and somebody's, because what are they trying to do with you? If they have you physically compromised, do you think they're sitting there taking your feelings and your life into account? Definitely not. They created this situation. So yeah, anything you can use to get away, Cause force, cause harm 100%. That's what I'm doing. Now, as far as the items though, look that up for wherever you are located. Make sure we're comfortable with those things because I know that that definitely does differ. And especially with even like protecting your property, obviously that's going to vary place to place.
1: True. That is a very good point because I was on a date here in Canada and I realized, well, the date told me that pepper spray is illegal here. So I don't carry pepper spray, but that's something I would have Mm -hmm. never known because I didn't even look it up. So as you said, especially when you're in different places just knowing what is legal and what is illegal. And it's so funny. I asked my friend, she's Canadian. I was like, did you know that? And she's like, wow, I didn't know it until I just looked it up. Not that she had pepper spray, but she just had no idea that it was illegal.
0: Well, a lot of like the company that we work with, they get they get this question all the time about like, hey, well, can, you know, I'm in Europe or wherever else. And they're like, I'm so sorry. Like they, they literally can't ship internationally. And even, um, I actually just saw this, I saw them post this video They're in New York. I believe they were saying that it's, um, it's very difficult to purchase pepper spray. I think you can still carry it, but you know, it really like, you know, obviously internationally it's really gonna vary, but even state to state, those laws mm. can definitely vary. So it's good to look those things up. I had somebody just comment on one of our posts recently, like, can I booby trap my house? it's like you know all these things it's like first of all like no you know you can't like intentionally like booby trap your house and try to like legally harm somebody but you know there there are different rules of what you can do in protecting your property and i think it's really really smart for everybody to to know their rights as far as wherever they're located
1: yes definitely are there any books courses or workshops that you suggest for us if we want to start focusing more on our safety and self-defense
0: I think, you know, obviously I would love to say come, you know, learn from us and stuff, but I I mean truthfully, you can learn the tips from us, but I think as far as any physical practice goes, you have to find something in person. And I like we do have a course coming out that'll cover kind of the basics if somebody doesn't want to go do that, but I would just strongly encourage to go seek something out in person practicing with those tools if you can. And again, even if somebody's like absolutely like will not go take a self-defense class for whatever reason, at least go do something like kickboxing. Get familiar with fighting back or taking out some aggression or, you know, working with punches and stuff and and really kind of also having to have things flying at you and responding to it. I know when I would go to work with little kids one on one, we'd start with bean So I'd like I'd throw a bean bag and they'd have to like block it or punch it, you know, and just getting familiar with things coming at you and having to quickly respond, increasing that response time. So anything you can do to get yourself in person.
1: I love that. So I know I mentioned to you before we started the podcast about how I'm really considering going around Europe next year. And so that's something that I said, when I get back home, I do want to take self-defense. I've been looking mm-hmm. at Krav Maga. So I know we talked about that a little bit in the beginning of the episode. So I tried a few classes in my early 20s, and my mom was taking it for a little bit. And I just, mm-hmm. I really loved it. And I love, I think, I'm assuming this is probably with all self-defense classes, but you also get to kind of spar. So it's like you get to practice those things with other people. And like you said, mm-hmm. I just think that makes a difference, like just having that practice.
0: Totally. In in every studio you go to is going to be different, you know, in every discipline, their sparring style is going to look different. Like at my studio, we, my instructor did a bunch of different stuff. So in, when I started instructing, I got exposed to a lot of that. So that's kind of where I got more of that. Like, and we had separate programs that were for self-defense specifically, but. We started off in traditional taekwondo. Like, that sparring style isn't really street applicable. More is just... I mean, you learn how to fight on your feet. But then we did kickboxing that helped more. We did some Muay Thai. And then we did more street applicable stuff on the side. And that's really... You know, you have to kind of look at what you're wanting from it. So if you want brute force and street fighting, like Krav Maga is your place. If you want to learn to really leverage technique over, you know, somebody's size, jujitsu. And I know... Do you know who Jocko is? I don't think so. No. He was... um. He was a navy seal and he's just so badass and he always says his daughter's actually in jiu-jitsu And he always recommends jiu-jitsu So that's something that I know that I want to take up more. I very very base knowledge of it So I think yeah, just getting familiar with what's available around you what you're looking for from it And really taking the time to put in the research on what you're going to go train
1: Well, now that you said that I think i'm going to look into jiu-jitsu So I love that. Yeah. you mentioned doing the research and seeing what you want to get out of it because again, I think Krav Maga is really cool, but then it's also the aspect of leveraging size. I think that makes sense for a lot of people too. So definitely mm-hmm. going to research jujitsu. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, of course. That's, I mean, if I'm, if I was going to go anywhere right now, that's what I would go do.
1: Awesome. I'm going to look into that.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming
1: on, Kaylee. I have thoroughly of enjoyed course. this conversation. Can you tell us more about what you do, the classes that you do offer and where we can find you on social media?
0: of course so we work a lot with groups of women so we don't do as much like one-on-one type stuff we we can if it's local we're um based in dallas but typically we're traveling to to teach different groups we do virtual classes we do in-person classes for groups if people are interested i know i mentioned we do have a course coming out so it's going to cover just kind of the basics of what we typically teach with mental situational and physical self-defense so you know we kind of start with everything to the point of human trafficking right how are those things happening how how do people groom us addressing things like stalking, you know, domestic abuse, sexual assault. Those things are we do tend to know our perpetrator to some extent. Then there's the situational side which we talked a lot about today and then, you know, obviously the physical side that we've really tailored to women who are probably coming in to do like a one and done self-defense class who don't have a lot of training. So, we will have that course available at the end of the month. I would recommend that more again. I know this is going against my like my own thing, but I would recommend that for the mental situational stuff. And just, Base layer physical until you can get yourself into a physical class because that is what's going to be most beneficial as far as that side of it goes. But yeah, and as far as tips and stuff, we have all kinds of tips that we post on social media. We are at Everyday Armor on TikTok and then Everyday Armor Official on Instagram.
1: Love it. I've looked at some of your videos on Instagram, and you definitely do provide really good tips and I definitely know that you're helping so many women. So I love that you have answered your calling and that you're doing this because I think it's really impactful.
0: Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate like the world needs more people like you that, that take this stuff serious. And I think that from everything that like I've I've learned about you and like your family, I think that this really did start with, you know, your parents making it, and especially like, you know, you said your mom really making it a point to teach you these things. And I think so many women don't have that. And maybe their parents don't even know about it. Maybe it's not accessible to them them. So being able to hear this information like you're providing, I think is so important and getting that conversation started and and more people need that. So thank you for for helping with that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's
1: episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye, Grown Girl Gang.